Pastor Xavier Reese says, a promise is a promise when made by God. The minute number of people entering Egypt was 70. They multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty to be as the stars of the heavens according to the promise and the prophecy of Genesis 15.5. The greatest witness God has given to the world of his existence is the growing presence of the Jew in the world since the day of Abraham. It's all in God's program. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Quite often, two parties making a formal agreement on something substantial will enter a contract together to assure each other's compliance, as opposed to a covenant, a one-way agreement, whereby the covenanter is the only party bound by the promise. And today's Simple Truths study illustrates God's faithfully fulfilling His covenant with Abraham that he would bless Abraham's descendants, making them more numerous than the stars. Pastor Xavier begins a new series in the book of Exodus today with a message titled, God's Faithfulness to the Jews. The opening chapter of the book of Exodus is in all reality a continuation of the book of Genesis, revealing the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham approximately 400 years before. The um, specific time God gave this promise to Abraham was right after he had rescued his um, nephew Lot, who was taken captive by Caelaramur, king of Elam, and the three other kings. At that time, God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 51 because he feared of the repercussions that might come to him by having rescued his nephew and defeated his kings. And God said, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Abram went on at that point to complain to God that he had no child of his own to be his heir, except for Eliezer of Damascus, his servant. And God promised him that he would have a child of his own body, his own offspring in Genesis 15, verse 2 and 4. Then God told Abraham, come out and look at the skies and look at the stars. If you can number the stars... He said, so shall your descendants be. In other words, it's enable, he was unable to do that. And he says, that's the way your seed is going to be. He gave him that promise. Now, God proceeded to tell Abram how he was going to fulfill that promise. And that is found in Genesis 15, 13 through 14. Listen to it, because this is what we're going to look at is the fulfillment of that promise. He says, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for four hundred years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. God promises through a covenant he made with Abram. As Abram cut an animal in two and put the pieces apart, He was waiting there. It got kind of dark. He fell into the sleepy thing, shoot away some birds. And then he saw a smoking oven and a burning torch walking between the sacrifice pieces, indicating the presence of God and that he alone would fulfill this. Abraham never walked through it. And so what we have before us here in chapter 1 of Exodus is the evidence of the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abram 
multiplying them into a nation. Let me read here. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man in his own household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. All of those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was already in Egypt. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all of his that generation, but the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mightily, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up. Out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. And so the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. And then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives of whom the name of the one was uh, Shifra and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and seek them and the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. And so the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. And therefore God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied, dealt well with them, and they multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was, because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. And so Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. What we have before us is the evidence of the fulfillment of the prophecy to Abram by God to multiply them and make them a nation. It's evident by three things. We have it here. Verse 1 through 7, you have the proliferation of the people of God. They just grew. They multiplied. Secondly, verse 8 through 14, the persecution of the people of God. And then 15 through 22, the extermination attempt of the people of God. Let's begin here with the proliferation of the people of God. The first seven verses give us this. The minute number of people entering Egypt was 70. The principal list of names includes only those who came to Egypt. That's all that is naming here. Now, notice the phrase, these are the names, this is the Hebrew title for the book of Exodus. Is exactly the same as in Genesis 46, 8. So they're identified by this phrase, and it's the title for the book of Exodus in the Hebrew writings. Now, the genealogical line begins with Abram. There must be a connection. The only call 
or the first call was in Ur of the Chaldees in chapter 11, 29, and then the second one came to him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. See, there's a connection between book of Exodus and Genesis, a continuation. And the Bible is very clear about these connecting generations and where they came from. This is one of the mistakes that America has made. We've cut ourselves away from our past. We're rewriting our history. And so we're all confused and fractured. Now the descendants of Abraham, as you know, were Isaac and Jacob, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel, meaning prevail, God prevail, or God rules, or governed by God. Same meaning. As he wrestled there with Jesus that night in Genesis 32, 28, Jacob represents self-will, the flesh, and Israel when he yields to God in the spirit. Now, notice the list of names is qualified by the term household. This is new indicating here families by the term households. And so he has increased them tremendously. Their connection is again Jacob and it's repeated for emphasis. There can be no mistake. Now, the particular names in the list are again the sons of Jacob. The sons of Leah and Rachel are place in the order of seniority here before the sons of the concubines or the maids of both of them. The first four sons of Leah come first, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. They're in verse 2. The next two of Leah, Issachar and Zebulun. They're in verse 3. And then Benjamin, the second son of Rachel, because the first son was Joseph, and we'll get to him because he was already in Egypt, okay? And then you have the sons of Bilhah, the maid of Rachel. They come next, Dan and Naphtali. And then the last two are the sons of Silpa, the maid of Leah, Gad and Asher. Again, the perfect number is recorded in verse 5. A total of number of individuals were the descendants of Jacob, 70 in number. 70 nations is the table of nations in Genesis, the 70 week of Daniel, and the number 70, if you follow through scripture, is very, very important prophetically. Now, the book of Genesis confirms this number that we're, we've looked at here and is recorded in Exodus by giving us a total of 66 in Genesis 46, 26 through 27, plus Joseph, his two sons, born in Egypt, and then Jacob. Now, 66 and 4 is 70. At least it was when I went to school. Now, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew writings, adds the names of Joseph's three grandsons and two great-grandsons, and therefore it states 75 in Genesis 46, 27, the Septuagint. And that's the difference, so there's no contradiction. He adds grandsons and great-grandsons. And that is why Stephen, when he's preaching to the synagogue of the freedmen in Acts 7.14, he declares 75 came because he was using the Septuagint, the Greek translation. You understand? Notice the parenthetical commentary. It explains this important detail. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And so the scriptures teach us that the present cannot be understood without its link to the past. And this is so important that you understand your past, where you've come from. You understand what God has done in your life. 
As a nation, it's important that a nation understands its past. When it cuts itself from its past, then it makes great mistakes. The scriptures can be trusted for accuracy. The cross-reference of the books of the Bible, Chronicles, uh, Kings, uh, Samuel, and the dates and the names of places are so incredibly accurate. And I notice, secondly, here the minute number of 70 persons in verse 6 and 7 now had died, but their offspring multiplied. The key individual used by God to ensure the multiplication of Egypt was Joseph before his death. Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. In, in fact, remember Joseph speaking to his brothers in Genesis 45.5. He says, but now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Remember they freaked out when he revealed himself? And then in Genesis 45, 10 through 11, he told them they would live in the land of Goshen. And he said to them, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And in Genesis 45, 18, Pharaoh said to Joseph, bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. 46, 1 through 4, then God spoke to Israel, speaking about Jacob. As he's coming in, he stops to worship God. And in a vision tonight, he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. So God is sending them. He's confirming this. For I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt. I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hands upon your eyes. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers. And he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded, Genesis 46, 11. There is a connection. There is a relationship. Genesis is the foundation. Exodus is a continuation. Look at verse 7. The prophecy of God to Abraham was fulfilled. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. This is the same language given to Adam and Eve at the creation in Genesis 1.28. They multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty from 70 to be as the stars of the heavens according to the promise in the prophecy of Genesis 15.5. This took place a little under 400 years at this point. The land was filled with them. Their presence could not be ignored or missed. God miraculously multiplied them through normal means, but had his hand upon them to do so in an abundant way. The greatest witness God has given to the world of his existence is the growing presence of the Jew in the world since the day of Abraham. The first large wave of modern immigration, known as the first um, Aliyah, began in 1881 as Jews fled pogroms in Eastern Europe. And the word pogroms is a Russian word meaning devastation or riot. And they were organized persecution against the Jew. The second Aliyah is 1904 to 1914. It began after the Kishnev pogrom. Some 40,000 Jews settled 
in what they call Palestine, but there's never been a Palestine nation or people. Jewish immigration continued with the third Aliyah in 1919 to 1923, the fourth in 1924 to 29, which gathered about and brought in 100,000 Jews to the land of Israel. By the end of World War II, Jews accounted for 33% of the population of the land of Israel, up to 11% in 1922. Israel's population has grown more than eightfold over the 1948 population of 806,000. The Jewish population in 207 was approximately 5.4 million, counting for 38% of the world's Jews. The proliferation of the people of God was accomplished and has been even to the day. Now, in view of that, the persecution of the people of God is presented next. 8 to 14. Notice in verse 8, the new dynasty came on the scene. A new king came to the throne of Egypt. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. This king is believed to be of the Hyksos or Hyksos, whichever way you want to pronounce it, dynasty. They were foreign invaders who drove the Egyptians south. And they too were Semites. The new king, notice, who did not sense the obligation to honor nor respect the person of Joseph as Pharaoh is because he wasn't in the days of Joseph. So he had no relationship to him. It says, now there arose a new king, Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And the word know, yada, means he had no experience with Joseph. Not mere acquaintance. So this king felt no obligation. He didn't know him. He didn't respect his authority or his relationship to these people. He disregarded it. Now, notice verse 9 and 10. The new perception resulted in minimizing the growth of the people of God. At least in attempt. Verse 9, the new king saw he and the people were at a disadvantage. And he told them, look, the people of the children of Israel are more than us. In other words, the Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians. Now, when you are the ruler and the subjects or other people are within your nation start outnumbering you, it becomes a great concern. He told them the people are mightier than us more powerful, more numbers, more powerful. That's a bad combination. And so in verse 10, the new king did not trust the Hebrews' loyalty to Egypt. He feared as they grew in numbers, they would confederate with the enemies of Egypt. The king advised, come let us deal shrewdly with them, wisely to their advantage. And the king gave the reason, lest they multiply, and it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. So even though they're here, even though they're productive, and we're okay right now, but they're growing in numbers, they're more powerful, and and they'll turn on us. But notice also he feared they would leave the land of Egypt, and so go up out of the land, in verse 10. 
The Hebrews were a great source of labor in Egypt. Already there is a hint here of the land that God is going to give to them, the Jews. Listen to me very carefully. The Jews and the land always go together. The Bible never speaks of the Jew without the land. The land belongs to the Jew. It's real clear. Notice verse 11 and 12. The new plan failed to minimize the growth of the people of God. Verse 11, the Egyptians made the Hebrews their slaves. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. The term taskmaster was a technical name for forced labor. Slave drivers pressing them. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Python and Ramses. This is the first time the king is called Pharaoh in the book of Exodus. Mark it. These were storehouse cities for provisions and perhaps even armament. Python means um, city of justice. And Ramses means a child of the sun. We're going to later on get into all the different gods. Uh, In fact, the judgments that will be brought upon Egypt are really judgments against their gods. Look at verse 12. The Egyptians then attempted to break the spirit of the Hebrews. Um, The strategy failed to control their population. uh, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And the strategy failing only intensified their fear. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. And the word dread means to feel loathsome or abhorrent. So there's a real tension going on and building up for some time. And it's all in God's program. (laughs) He's in control. Notice the new strategy was to overwork them, the people of God. Verse 13 and 14. The Egyptians became more cruel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And the word rigor means to crush, to break in pieces. The Egyptians made the lives of the Hebrews unbearable, verse 14 tells us. Backbreaking. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and brick And in all manner of service in the field, the word bitter refers to the severity of their suffering and sorrow. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Very consistent, very oppressive. Now, our own nation turned away ships filled with Jews escaping Hitler's demonic persecution. We turned them away. To their deaths, as well as Europe. It's nothing new. There, there seems to be a hatred of the Jew continuously. In fact, our very quote unquote top universities this last year made it very clear that they believed that if the Jew could be wiped out, the world would be better off. It's demonic. The persecution of the people of God has been unceasing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is from the pit of hell. If you're a Christian, you cannot be anti-Semitic. 
Now, we're not here to defend every action of Israel or anything, no. But I'm smart enough to be on the winning side, you understand? Pastor Xavier Reese has been leading us through the opening chapter of the book of Exodus and providing the evidence of a God faithful to his covenant with Abraham and the Hebrew people. And there's much more of this message to come next time. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply God's Faithfulness to the Jews. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is God's Faithfulness to the Jews. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 